have kids who are going to be going to the children's church, um, Kelly is going to meet them right over here at this exit. As for the rest of us, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving this morning by taking the Lord's Supper. We have a lot to be thankful for, first and foremost, for the cross and what Jesus did uh, for us. I want to take us back to one of Jesus' greatest miracles. This is John's Gospel, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. So when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? And he asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. And the men numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So here, Jesus demonstrated that he is God, that he can do only what God can do. He took these loaves and then some fish, and he created out of nothing a meal to feed over 5,000 hungry people out there in the middle of nowhere. And notice what he did before he started to distribute the bread and the fish. It says, it says this, Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And later he, he told his disciples what this miracle represented, in particular what the bread represented. He goes on in the same chapter to say this, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give will give that I that I will give for the life of the flesh of for the life of the world is my flesh. So physically, we need bread. We need food in order to sustain our life. And Jesus tells us there spiritually to sustain us spiritually. The bread that He gives is His own flesh. In order for us to be redeemed. In order for us to have true spiritual life within ourselves, Jesus came to this earth to give his flesh for the world, for the sins of the world. So as we take the Lord's Supper, just as Jesus broke the bread, he gave thanks. This morning as we take the Lord's Supper, we give thanks to Jesus back for what he did for us. We're going to be... Uh, getting the elements a little bit different this morning. Um, there are four different stations throughout the room. 
And I want to invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us this morning. If you've trusted in Jesus personally as Lord and Savior, and then been obedient in baptism. So, if you can, get up out of your seats and go toward the wall, and then to the Lord's Supper. There's two up front, and then you can get back to your seats through the middle. So there's two up front, and then one at the back, and there's one upstairs in the balcony. So, uh, why don't I lead us in prayer? And then as you get to the Lord's Supper, as you get back to your seat, just spend a little bit of time in prayer yourself, confessing sin you have in your life, um, saying thank you personally to the Lord for what He's done for you and how Jesus died for you. And then um, as everybody gets back seated, I'll come back up here and I'll lead us all in taking the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, there are no words enough to say thank you for what you've done for us. That you came to earth to give your very life for us. Even in our rebellion and our sin, you paid the price for us. And Lord, help us to receive the Lord's Supper today with gratitude in our hearts, with joy in our hearts. Also, as a reminder that all of our sins, if we've trusted in you, have been we're so thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may go.
cup is a little bit different than the ones that we have been using. You'll notice the bread is at the bottom, so if you can peel back the film around the bread, this is actually a leavened bread this So Jesus, before going to the cross, gathered his closest friends and followers around himself for a last meal. And he shared the significance um, about what he would do. And he used the bread in the Passover meal to do this. And, and he said this, For I received from the Lord on the night for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. That on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now you can peel back the film over juice. And it continues, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray with one another again. Lord, just as you broke the bread, both in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and then at the Last Supper, you gave thanks. And today, again, we give thanks to you. We would be hopeless without you, Jesus, coming to earth and giving up your body to be broken for us. Thank you for being our sacrificial lamb. And now as we open up your word, as we've seen the gospel demonstrated visibly in the elements of the Lord's Supper, now Lord, help me to proclaim the gospel. Lord, I pray that it would change hearts, it would change minds. Lord, those who already believe, the gospel, I pray, Lord, that we would begin to live like the gospel. We would begin to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. This morning I want to speak to you about heaven, about eternity. Specifically, the way to heaven. We live so much of our life so fixed on this little short span that we call life. All of our plans, all of our thoughts, mainly fixed on this little breath of life. Whereas the Bible constantly is encouraging us to break through just this little short span and get our minds thinking more and more about eternity. The infinitely long span that we have 
after we die. My favorite section of scripture about this is in the beginning of Psalm 90. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to follow along with me. I'd like to read this passage to you. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, Return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by. Like a few hours of the night, you end their lives, they sleep. They are like grass that grows in the morning, in the morning it sprouts and grows, by evening it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. So according to this psalm that was written by Moses, the wise person numbers their days. They consider the brevity of life in light of the great span of eternity and then plans and lives accordingly. And then you could say helps others plan for eternity and helps them to live accordingly. A pastor once illustrated this by using a really long rope. That he had painted white. I mean a really long rope. Like that went all around the sanctuary. Down the aisle. Through the pews. Out the door. Back in the sanctuary. And then all of the rope was painted white. Except for one little end. That he had painted red. Maybe like two inches long. That two-inch length of rope represents our lives right now compared to the great span of eternity. So how do we have any assurance about where we're going to be in eternity? For that matter, about where anyone will be in eternity. Well, thankfully, Jesus didn't leave us in the dark about eternity. He was the great teacher on eternity. He is the great teacher on eternity. He, he, he was honest first that there's only two places that anyone is going to go in eternity. One is, is, a, is a perfect place, heaven. The other is a terrible 
place called hell. Uh, Jesus being honest, and I believe it's true of him because he loves us. Um, he doesn't want any to perish. He wants all to receive a knowledge of the truth. Um, he, he doesn't desire that anyone would die separated from him. So he taught people about that terrible place called hell. In fact, almost more than anyone else in all of the Bible, Jesus taught us about hell. He called it Gehenna. He compared it to this trash dump that was outside of Jerusalem. Also had the name of the Valley of Hinnom. This was a huge public trash dump where they were always burning their trash. If you live out in the country, you know uh, about burning your trash. I, I remember going, um, spending time on my grandmother's farm, and this was uh, a weekly thing for her, taking the trash out to the trash pile and burning it. So that, that's what was going on in Jerusalem, and, and Jesus said that hell is like this fire that is never quenched. Um, he also compared hell to outer darkness and like being um, in, a, in a prison. And one important truth that he taught us about eternity in general is there is no exit door. Wherever you end up in eternity, there, there is no exit door. And, and he taught us this um, in the lesson of, of Lazarus and the rich man. And in this lesson, um, some think it's a parable, some think it's, it's actual. Um, regardless, the truth is there. Uh, Father Abraham is in paradise. And he tells the rich man who is in Hades, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. This is in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 16. So once we enter into eternity, the door is locked. There, there, there is no exit door. There is no crisscrossing between hell and heaven or heaven and hell or or anywhere else uh, for that matter. Once we enter into eternity, there is no exit. So this is serious business. If our lives are like that one little two-inch length of rope in line of this great span of eternity and there is no exit from eternity, we need to find out and have assurance about where we're going to go after we die. Well, thankfully, Jesus didn't leave us in the dark about heaven either. Right before his own death, as I've already mentioned, he gathered up his, his closest friends and followers, uh, the disciples. And he shared the Passover meal with them. But it was a very long conversation. Uh, much of it to the disciples was very foggy. They were still, even at this point, very confused about a lot of what Jesus was telling them. It would only become clear to them after the resurrection. And then especially after they received the Holy Spirit, who helped them to remember everything that Jesus had done 
and had, had taught them. But at one point in this conversation, Jesus begins to tell them about the way to heaven. About the way that they and any of us can be prepared for eternity after we die. And he says this in John's Gospel, chapter 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are, are many rooms. If not, I would not have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know the way to where I am going. So he comforts his disciples, telling them, I have a place prepared for you, for anyone who will follow me and and believe in me. So don't let your hearts be troubled. In my father's house, there is many rooms. So there's going to be plenty of rooms in heaven for all of those who have trusted in Christ for their salvation. None will be left out if they turn from their sin to trust in Christ. In the Father's house, in his, in his presence. And he's the greatest host, let me tell you. He's got everything ready for us. It's going to be perfect and it's going to be joyful. It's going to be like anything, greater than anything that we could ever imagine right here on earth. And then he says, you know the way to where I am going. And this, one of the disciples speaks up. His name was Thomas. And we're told Thomas, oftentimes in the Gospels, had problems with doubts and in lack of assurance. And at this point, by the way, Judas, who betrayed him, had already gone out. So there were 11 remaining disciples. And Thomas speaks up and says, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going. How can we know the way? And I'm sure Jesus looked at him with this expression of just sorrow and sadness. Well, what do you mean, Thomas? I've been with you this whole time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You're still not getting it, what I'm, what I'm telling you. But what Jesus says next in response to Thomas is so incredibly important to his identity, about whom we need to know who he is, and then also our eternity. This is the defining factor about where we're going to spend eternity, all of us. He says this, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you know me, then you know the Father. Something I've been eager to point out to you as we've been in this series about these I am statements of Jesus, some people claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. 
that him even using the words I am, which all of these statements start with, and they define Jesus. These are Jesus defining himself. Takes our minds back to the Old Testament, where Moses was standing before the burning bush, and God speaks to him from the burning bush. And Moses asks God, what should I call you? What if the Israelites ask me your name? And God tells him, you're to call me I am. Tell them I am who I am sent you. Here Jesus tells his disciples and tells numerous people all over John's gospel, I am. He's claiming to be God right there. He's saying, if you've seen me, the Son, you have seen the Father. I am who I am. You see, Jesus didn't come to teach us about what we must do in order to earn our way to heaven. He didn't come to be a pointer as if to say, look, this is the path. This is the way. No. Jesus came to be the way to God. The exclusive way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it's only because Jesus is also the truth and the life that makes him the way. All three of those factors go together. He is the truth because he is God in humanity. He is truly God and truly man. Jesus is the truth because he reveals exactly to us what God is like from a human lens. Everything that is true about God, about divinity, is also true about Jesus Christ. He was never created. He will always be. He is eternal. He is holy. He is sinless. He is perfect. He is all-knowing. Everything that is true about God is true about Jesus Christ. Then everything that is true about humanity also became true of Jesus Christ. Because he came from heaven to earth to become a man. Everything that is except for our sin. He went through everything that we go through. The full range of life, of human life, Jesus went through it. He was tempted and he was tried in every way. And he came through sinless. He is the truth. He shows us what a sinless and perfect life looks like. He is the life because he brings us eternal life. The eternal life of the creator, 
God who stepped into human flesh. Because he is the truth and the life, he is the way to God. And this is the reason why Jesus came to earth to give us a way to God. The way to God. He lived the life that we've all failed to live. Sinless and perfect and holy. And again, he did it in our shoes. He took on human flesh. He died a sinner's death that we all deserve to die. We deserve to be up there on the cross. But Jesus, in his love for us, took our place and took our punishment for our sin. But brothers and sisters, the story does not end there. He rose victoriously from the grave. He is the resurrection and the life. He gives us the hope that we all need. Eternal life. And he gives the invitation that anyone can accept. That if you will turn from your sin to trust in Jesus, to look to Jesus for your hope, for your salvation, you can be saved. Jesus is the way to God. We tend to think of our sin as not being very bad. We think of ourselves as maybe just being a little bit morally flawed, a little bit bad. But if it took the Son of God coming to earth as a man to die for us on a cross, that's how bad our sin is. That's also how great God's salvation is. That he would do that for us. That he would substitute himself in our place. Jesus isn't just a way to God among many that we would choose. No, he is the way to God. He's not just a philosopher or moral teacher to say, this is how you do it. No, he is the way to God. And it's only through a personal relationship with him that someone may have the hope eternal life, the way to the Father's house, the way to heaven. It's all through Him. Now, I'd like to finish this morning in a way that I don't do a whole lot on Sunday mornings, uh, at least while I'm preaching. I'm not going to pressure, not going to manipulate anyone, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or stand up or, or do anything like that. This will be between you and God. What I'd like to do is to lead you in prayer. And I'd like to invite you this morning that if you haven't yet to pray with me to trust in Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Like I said, this will be between you and God. 
You can use the words that I pray to help you, or you can just use your words and ask God to save you. The only thing I do ask, if you will, if you will make this public with this church, either through coming during the response time or seeking me out later so that we can help you become a part of the church, help you to grow, help you to be obedient in baptism. The important thing is you make sure that you're personally right with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's all that matters. He isn't an option. He is the way. We pray this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner who has done wrong. And I also admit that I'm helpless to save myself. I now believe that Jesus suffered and died for my sins and rose again. I now trust him as my Lord and Savior, as the only way to God. And I gratefully accept his free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Thank you for saving me. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Pray that today, believing, trusting, for the first time, you are saved. Anyone who calls out on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have saved. Let's finish out this morning with worship. Let's remember who Jesus is. He's provided the way to relationship with God. If you have a relationship with God, celebrate that. This morning. Give thanks to the Father for what He's done for you, for Jesus.